So we started talking about that last week, uh, Things Are Getting Better, a series on kingdom optimism. Uh, this is not being an optimist just for the sake of being Pollyanna, good confession, head in the sand, nothing else is going on, but because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Because we have the promises of the word, because we know for sure that Jesus won the victory on the cross when he said it is finished. So uh, we started last week. You, you might be, how many of you, it's hard to have hope sometimes when you got to shovel your driveway for like over and over the eighth time in the last 10 days or something. You, you get in the midst of your circumstances and you think winter is going to go on forever. And it's hard to have optimism and hope. But I've, I've got news for you that spring is around the corner. There, there is always better in store for us. The, the seed time and the harvest time is coming, even if you're in the middle of a winter situation. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about Anson yesterday, thinking you might be experiencing the pit basketball season and thinking, how can I be an optimist in the midst of this, Lord Jesus, because it's not going well. But spring is coming. I don't... The kingdom trumps everything, regardless if a pit scores 70 points or not. So uh, know that our natural circumstances don't have anything to bear on the kingdom of God triumphing and being uh, superior to every other kingdom that we see in the earth. Uh, so last week we started talking about this. And, and just a recap of last week. Uh, go to the next slide. Oh, I had this, this slide. Which, we made a case last week that Christians should be optimists. Which one of these do you think we are called to be? Should we be the people of bright future ahead or should we be the dead end? There's, there's no good coming. It's all going downhill. Hopefully Jesus will rescue us. Which one do you just logically, common sense, do you think Christians are called to be? We are called to be people of hope, people of optimism, people that say there is a bright future ahead. Everlasting life is not just about a time period. It's about a quality of life that we can experience here and now. So last week, uh, just to recap, I made the case that Christians should be optimists. Uh, because we are called to be carriers of good news. We should be people with a testimony. How many of you know in the book of Revelation, it says that's part of how they overcame by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. There is something about us having a testimony that produces something in the earth. Uh, last week, we made the case that the devil has no authority of his own. So what he does is he looks for people that are speaking the same language that he speaks. He, he latches on to our authority when we complain, when we have a negative confession. He looks for that so that he can manifest his fruit. That's why we need to watch our outlook and what comes out of our mouth. If you, by nature, are a complainer, stop. Just ask God to help you to stop this year. Anybody else ever go through those phases? I'm, I'm not immune to it. It's like you, 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 step, you step back and you're like, wow. I've really been complaining a lot lately. I don't know what it is that creeps in. I, I think one of the remedies for that is go on a mission trip. Yeah. The, the trips Bob was talking about, I've gone on missions before where I, I get halfway through the mission trip and I'm praying, God, I'll never complain again about anything. Lord, I'm so thankful for everything I have. Forgive me for when I complain. And, you know, that lasts a little while. I think yeah. probably like three or six months when you get home. And then if you don't watch yourself, you get back in that place of I'm just complaining again. If you're complaining, stop. And what, what I mean by that is if your first impulse or reaction when you walk into a situation is what's wrong, then stop it. Change. Ask God, help me change my thinking, my outlook. Like Joe talked about during worship, let us see what you're doing, Lord. It, here's an example of that. Uh, there are two types of people. One that could walk into this room this morning and say, wow, look at the new carpet. That's awesome. Or, man, that seems not exactly 100% perfect. I can't believe they did that. 
Do you, do you see the difference of what you're looking for? We, we can be complainers that look for what's wrong in this circumstance, or we can start looking for what God is doing and thank Him. Yeah. Another, I guess another example would be if, if you're the kind of person that when Jesus healed the lame guy at the pool of Bethesda, if you would have been standing there and the first thing that came into your mind is, wow, look at all these 90 or 100 other people that didn't get healed this morning. Can you believe Jesus can't heal all those do you know people like that? We, we have to be the people that come into agreement and say, wow, that's awesome. Jesus just healed somebody at the pool of Bethesda. That's, that's pretty amazing. I want to see more of that. Thank you, God. Start giving him some glory for what we see him actually doing in the circumstance, not what's not happening or what we think should be happening. So if we're complainers, can we just say, let's stop it this year? Let's, let's choose to focus on what he's doing and let thankfulness and goodness come out of our mouth. Yes, I got one yes. I'm, I'm going to go home and tell Pam. Oh, that whole room, there was only one person that said yes this morning. I can't believe it. A bunch of complainers. Like, man. <laughs> so uh, another thing we said last week is yeah, things are getting better, but you may experience ups and downs. There, there will be seasons where it feels like we're really advancing and making progress, and there will be seasons of, oh, I don't see it as, as much as it should right here, right now. But the general trend is it's going up. There, there will be ups and downs, but we made the case last week the kingdom of God is advancing. And uh, yes, there, there is still work to do, but we need to have an optimistic outlook and confession. And we talked last week, our outlook can be influenced by untrustworthy factors. And I said I was going to touch them last week. I, I said a couple things that happened is we, we have a limited time of experience. We have a limited time frame and we have a limited geography that influences our outlook and they're not always that trustworthy. So because I'm kind of a geek and I really wanted to show some graphs this morning and just to touch that a little bit because I said I'd get back to it, I put a couple things. Go to the next slide. So when I say limited time experience, here's one of the examples I mean by that. This graph you're seeing on the screen is the, the per capita murder rate in the United States. So from 1900 to 2000, you see how it's gone. This is how many people get killed per 100,000 people that live in the United States. Uh, in the 1900s early, it was somewhere between 8 and 10. And in the 50s, it dropped down to like 5 people per 1,000 or 100,000. And so if you were born in 1950 and you're just experiencing, wow, it was at five, but it went back up to like 10. It doubled. The murder rate per 100,000 people since I've been alive since 1950 has doubled. Things are really getting bad. It's awful. I can't believe that, you know, the devil's winning. You know, you would look at that graph and say the devil's winning because that's my experience in my time frame of just being alive since 1950. Well, what, do, what should we do to get a big picture sometimes? We need to step back a little bit. So go to the next slide. So here is that same trend, but over 300 years instead of just our limited time that we've been alive. So if you go all the way back to the early stages of this country, uh, before the, the revolution even, when it was first being discovered and settled 1700 or so, it was, that number was up around 30 or 40 people being murdered per 100,000 people that were living on this continent. So when you step back 300 years and you look at it, you say, wow. There's, there's less people being murdered. It's gone from 30 or 40 to only about 5 or 10. Man, all of a sudden my view changes. My outlook goes from saying, wow, it's gotten so much worse just since I was born, to saying, wow, the kingdom of God has been having an impact on the earth for centuries. 
And we're seeing, you know, anytime we see less murder, how many of you know that's the kingdom manifesting? We'll talk about that later this morning, but the good things that happen are because the kingdom has been released into the earth. So we have a limited time experience, so don't let that influence your outlook if all you're doing is saying, oh, in the last 20 years it's been so bad. How about taking a step back and saying, wow, in the last several centuries God has been aggressively advancing the kingdom and violent men lay hold of it and forcefully advance it. Go to the next slide. So I said limited geography. Here's one. If, if you were living in the United Kingdom, uh, you would see this graph. So since 1980, here's uh, the percent change in people that have been going to church and the number of churches that exist there. So you would look at that and say, wow, in uh, 20 years, they're projecting in 40 years that there's going to be a 50% decline in the number of people that go to church. So if, if you were a resident of the United Kingdom, you'd look at that graph and you'd maybe say, wow, we're not doing so hot. Christianity is really like on the slide here. We, we must be losing. The devil was winning. I knew it was true. Things are getting worse. Pastor Chris was lying. That, that might be what you would think if you were living in England. So go to the other slide. What, what happens, and we'll, we'll look at more graphs the next several weeks about the explosion of Christianity across the globe. But this one is just what's been happening in Africa, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa since 1900. Uh, at the point in time of 1900, about 76% of the people were some type of indigenous uh, religion in Africa. They worshipped dead people. They worshipped animals, you know, voodoo, whatever it is. You know, they, they were some African religion. Uh, today, that's only about 13% of the people, and almost 60% are Christians. So if, if you were in, in those countries that are represented by this graph, if you were a Christian there you would argue with the guy from the United Kingdom. You would say, what do you mean we're losing? We've, we've been winning. We've been taking over. We've been advancing the kingdom of God and seeing more people get saved than, than we know what to do with sometimes. So some of it is we have limited time experience. We have limited geography because of where we live. And I think God's calling us to step back and see the bigger picture. Go ahead to the next slide. There's, there's a picture of it. We need to rise above our limited life and circumstances and see what God's doing in the earth. And that's what we need to come into agreement with and begin to confess with our mouth and begin to pray and begin to see it manifested in the earth. I love that picture. You know, here's a guy in, in this rundown, beat-up ruin of a city, and he's peeking over the wall. You can't read the writing on the wall, but it says the beginning is near. And he's seeing the cosmos. He's seeing what God is doing in the rest of the earth. And an example, our, our friend Peter is going to be with us next week. Here, here's an example of the geography thing and, and thinking things are getting better. You know, people in the United States, oh, it's so blah, blah, blah. I see this and that happening. He says in Africa, you can measure things are getting better by what we have that we didn't have. He's like, I deal with people, you know, in, in my tribes and in the cities there that they can measure it by, hey, 40 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, we did not have a road. We did not have running water. We did not have electricity. And today, we have running water in our village. And it's even clean because we have a, a purifier or a well. You know, we have a road. They paved the highway through there. So he's like, it's very tangible. You would ask one of the people in Tanzania that he ministers to, are things getting better? And the answer would be, well, of course they're getting better. Look, look at the advancements that have happened. That's what I mean by things are getting better. And we don't see it sometimes because we're here in one place at one time so narrowly focused on what's going on in our life. And that's what impacts our view. But we need to step back and look and see the big picture. What is God doing in the earth today? So 
here's what happens when we see the big picture. A, a couple things. The first one I thought of was Isaiah stopped saying, whoa. You remember that in, in Isaiah chapter 6? He, he sees heaven opened in the year King Uzziah died, and he has these visions of the angels going to and fro and, and all this glorious stuff. What had Isaiah been doing up to that point? Six times in, in Isaiah 5 leading up to that, he's saying, woe is this. Woe is this. Woe is this. You know, these are awful things that are going on in the earth today. I'm doom and gloom. Woe, woe, woe. What does he do when he sees heaven? It's it's open before him. He sees the glory of God. He says, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips. My, My confession has not been coming into agreement with what's really going on in the heavens here. And I live among a people of unclean lips is what Isaiah said. I I, I just picture in modern verbiage, he's saying, I've been a complainer and, and a doom and gloomer, and I live among a people that do nothing but complain. What, did get, what got the Israelites in trouble half the time? <laughs> Complaining and grumbling instead of thanking God and rehearsing the victories that he had won for them and seeing them manifest in the earth. He says, woe is me when he sees heaven and gets a glimpse of what's really going on. He says, I need to change my report. I need to come into agreement with what's happening in the heavenlies. Here's another example of this in in Luke chapter 13. uh, Starting at verse 10, there's a story of Jesus healed this woman. It says, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Now stop for a second there. What's that mean? In the natural, here's, here's two dynamics to take from this this morning. In the natural, she was bent over and couldn't straighten up. So she's walking around like this, right? What happens when you're walking around like that? All you ever see is the earth. You don't have any idea what's going on in heaven because you're bound, you're sick, and you, you need to get healed. Yeah. And so it goes on in the story. It says she couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, You are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. When she straightened up, when she got healed from her infirmity and she got her eyes up off the earth and began to be able to see heaven again, what happened? The result is she praised God. When we get our eyes off the earth and the natural circumstances, when we begin to see what he's doing in heaven, we begin to rehearse that. Praise is what comes out of our lips. That should be the natural response. I'm going to give and create glory for God and start to thank him for it. Jesus can heal us so that we can lift our eyes up and see what's going on in heaven. I just, I just released that to you this morning. If you need that to be loosed from your infirmity, if you're, if you're one of those people that you're thinking... Man, I'm just like pastors talking about. I, I, all I ever see is what's going on in the natural circumstances. I have no idea where God's at work or what He's doing. Be free from your infirmity this morning. Be straightened up so you can see what He's doing in the heavens and give Him glory. Is that okay this morning? Sometimes, sometimes we get in a place where we need a little dose of that. We need to be set free so we can see what He's doing and where He's at work. So what... Uh, what should we be looking at to convince ourselves? Go to the next slide. Uh, why do we believe that things are getting better? And I made the case last week. You could just trust me because I'm a nice guy. I'm, I'm a trustworthy person. And, and we're actually going to look at uh, what some others have said, not just me. So you can take uh, the word of other people for it. But then we're going to look at some data. We looked at a few things already. I won't give you any more graphs till next week or two weeks because Peter's here next week. But 
Yeah, I, I, fear, I just I, it was the nerd in me. I had to throw a graph in there somewhere today. Uh, but we will look at data. But the biggie is we need to trust God's word, right? Yes. That, that trumps what I would say, what anybody else could tell you, the opinions of man, the, the data you see on a graph. The word of God is what trumps it. That needs to be our sure foundation for why we say things are getting better. So I, I kind of intermingled them this morning. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures intermixed with some quotes from some old dead guys. But... Oh. You know, I'm pretty sure that uh, anybody that was a Christian that has died, they're very optimistic now about the outlook of things. So we're going to look at that. The first one we looked at last week, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Uh, we read this and talked about it last week. Uh, I'm, I'm just being reminded right now that we talked about the kingdom this morning and releasing heaven. You know, we've been given a kingdom that can't be shaken. I think as Hebrews talks about everything in the natural is shaken so that what can't be shaken will remain. That's what God's given to us. He's given us a kingdom that can't be shaken. No matter what you see going on in the natural, the kingdom is going to endure. Uh, So anyway, chapter 9, verse 7 of Isaiah last week, it said, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I read it again this week, even though we just talked about it last week, because I don't think you can read that verse too much. That's something that ought to be in us. We ought to have it memorized. We ought to have it influence and shape our outlook. Uh, The increase of his peace and of his government, there will be no end. The increase is not just of... uh, is the increase is what's not going to end. It's not just that there's an unending kingdom and an unending peace. It's the increase of it. So we are seeing a perpetual increase because it's promised by the word. And it's not contingent upon our hard work. We, we have a part to play. That's going to be something we talk about in this series is what should we be doing if we have a role to play and things are getting better. We should be, like uh, Trish talked about this morning, giving away the kingdom. That's part of what makes things get better is when we rise up and start to do that, to give away what we've been given. Um, But it's based primarily on the zeal of the Lord. It says he's going to accomplish it because of him. We we said last week, there's another translation that says it's the passionate commitment of the Lord Almighty that guarantees it. So he is for things being better, and he promised that there would be an increase of his government and peace. Pretty sure any time his government and his peace increases on the earth, things are better than they were the day before. So that was a verse we read last week. Uh, The next slide I threw in there is a quote from Origen, one of the church fathers. And uh, and he lived around 184 to 250 A.D. And he said this, it is evident. So to him it was obvious. He says it's evident just from looking around you. It is evident that every form of worship will be destroyed except the religion of Christ, which alone will prevail. And indeed, it will one day triumph as its principles take possession of the minds of men more and more each day. That's part of what we saw in that graph that's, that's happening in Africa. The, the kingdom is destroying all other forms of worship. Jesus is ruling and reigning and is being revealed in the earth. All right, so that was, that was an old guy. He, he lived in you know, 180 A.D., but he doesn't know what's going on in my block in 2014. You know, he, he didn't he didn't see my neighbor, you know, cheating on his wife or, you know, selling drugs on the corner or abusing his kids. He surely couldn't have known that it was going to get this bad. Huh. Are we complainers looking for what the devil's doing? Or are we looking for what God is doing and reinforcing that? How do we pray for our neighbor? Do we pray like, you know, Lord, help him stop cheating on his wife. He's such a he's such a bad guy. You know, God, could you do something? 
How about we start praying for our neighbor? Like, Lord, let your kingdom take hold of his life. Awaken him to who you created him to be. Help him get out of this place that's beneath where he's supposed to be living. How about starting to confess the good things over somebody's life? How many of you have ever seen Christians that do that? Prayer time is just a big complain time. We've, we've disguised our complaining as prayer now because we tack in Jesus' name on the end of it. But all it is is we're really griping and complaining to, to the people in the little prayer circle that we're praying with. Like, oh, it's so bad. And, and everybody else, they're squeezing each other's hands saying, Amen. Yes, Lord. It's, I've seen it myself. It's so bad. Amen. How about if we just change the nature of what we pray even to begin to confess things that God is doing in the earth and wants to do and release in people's lives. Here's, here's some more scripture. Uh, this, is, this is that story of Isaiah when he got undone. Uh, he saw these angels flying around. It says they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I think I've said this before, but how many of you here know there is no lying in heaven? Uh, for, the, for the tape, three hands went up in the room. So the rest of us need to go back to basics. How many of you know there's no lying in heaven? All right. Look at your neighbor. Say, I believe that. There's no lying in heaven. You make a scriptural case. It's in there. No. So if there's no lying in heaven, and these angels are in heaven saying the whole earth is full of his glory, that must be a true statement. Yes? Yes. But we get in our mode where we say, well, it sure doesn't look glorious when my neighbors act in that way. I don't see it. How about even God himself? Here's, here's in Numbers 14, 21. It's that verse underneath there. This is God talking. He says, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. So those statements, either they're true or there's lying in heaven and God himself is a liar. He just declared the whole earth is full of my glory. God's word is true whether we see it in our circumstances or not. The earth is full of his glory. Our job is to make his glory known to the world. What is, what is the verse in, in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14? It says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How many of you see true statement by God, the earth is full of my glory. Our job, make that known. Let the knowledge of the glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's why testimonies are important. Anytime you testify and say, guess what God did for me? I, I got something. I got to tell you about his goodness. I got anytime you testify, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord begins to spread on the earth until the waters, until it covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's a good job to have. How many of you think that sounds like a lot better than your natural job description? Whatever they're telling you to do at work. Man, I got, I got a Bible job description that's better than that. It says, I'm, I get to make the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord known in the whole earth. Testimonies. We got to have them on our lips. And this, come on, testimonies are not just, let me tell you about 42 years ago when I got saved. You know, I, I came to the altar. I was living this way. And then I came, I was a horrific five-year-old. You know, just awful, rotten to the core. And Jesus saved me. How many of you know, I better have a testimony that's a little more current than what God did four decades ago in my life. That's, that is part of our job as Christians is to be rehearsing the goodness of God on an ongoing basis. I, it, it cracks me up sometimes when we, we, 
know, we have evangelism training and how to share your testimony. You know, that's good to share your testimony about how God saved you. But I hope it's something that's a little more current of guess what he's also done since then. You know, he's, he's continued to work in my life and it's amazing. Let me tell you what he did yesterday. It's, it's so amazing to see God at work living and active in my life. That's our testimony. When we release that, it actively dismantles the kingdom of darkness and releases the kingdom of God into the world. That's why testimonies are important. That's why that's part of how we overcome as believers. When more of God's glory is revealed, when we do that, we do our job, we're testimony releasers, we're making knowledge. When more of God's glory is known by the people of the earth, I would say things are getting better. If, if more of His glory is known today than it was yesterday, things are better today, regardless of if my natural circumstances changed or not. Re- regardless of what I'm experiencing at this, this time, things are better because the glory of the Lord has been revealed more today. Here's another quote. This one's from John Wesley. Uh, he lived in the 1700s. You can see a little picture of him with his dress like they did back then. I'm thinking about getting a wig like that with the curls and serving in the parliament. Uh, So John Wesley, uh, he actually said this, all unprejudiced persons. So he's saying anybody that has any sense and doesn't have some hidden agenda, all unprejudiced persons may see with their eyes that God is already renewing the face of the earth. And we have strong reason to hope that the work he hath begun, he will carry on unto the day of the Lord Jesus. How many of you know that's a pretty optimistic statement? And the 1700s were no prize to live in. Okay, It was not like, oh, heaven on earth has manifested now that we're in the 1700s. He had to wear that wig. You know, Number one, it wasn't a good time to be alive. But he's saying, we're convinced. If, if you don't have any prejudices going into it, surely you can see that God is at work actively renewing the face of the earth. Hmm. How... How much? How many times do we think like, "Wow, I wish I could be as optimistic as a guy that lived and died, you know, 300 years ago." Even God is at work, and He's continuing to do it until the day of the Lord Jesus. Another scripture for you: Daniel chapter seven. Uh, Daniel's having this dream, and he says, "In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven." Who do you think he's talking about there? Okay, Jesus, that is Jesus. That's not just the the Sunday school answer where everything is Jesus. That really is Jesus that he's seeing in this vision. It says, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Those are awesome things to be given to you. And it says, All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Do you know that, that that verse was fulfilled by Jesus in Matthew? How do I know that? In Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So that's, Daniel says, oh, I saw him walk into the ancient of days and receive all the, all the authority in heaven and earth. And then Jesus says, oh, that happened. That's me. It was given to me. Now go and make disciples. Teach him everything I told you. And then later in Daniel chapter 7, it says in verse 18, the saints of the Most High. It gets even better. Jesus didn't keep it all to himself. Okay, just like we prayed this morning and said, hey, we're not supposed to keep it all to ourselves. We're supposed to give it away. Jesus didn't keep it all to himself either. In Daniel seven eighteen, it says the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Everybody say forever. forever. 
And it says, yes, forever and ever. <laughs> and he says, uh, you know what? That was fulfilled too. How do I know that? In Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Sure sounds like I've received it now if it's within me. In Luke 22, he told his disciples, I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. He gave us the kingdom, the authority, the power, the glory that he received from the father. He passed on to his people. Every time that saints wake up and realize they possess the kingdom and begin to manifest it, to begin to act like it in the earth, things are getting better. That's why the devil wants to keep you bound. That's why he wants to keep you blinded and deceived to your identity and the power you have. Because anytime you wake up to that realization of, I'm a possessor of the kingdom. I, I, have it, I can release it. Jesus said, freely you've been given, freely give it away. Anytime that, that you start to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, things are getting better. Because the kingdom of darkness is being dismantled and the kingdom of light is being established. All right, here's another quote from Jonathan Edwards. Another, he was a contemporary, 1700s. And, uh, and he, he preached some wild things, but this quote was an inspired moment. He says, The visible kingdom of Satan shall be overthrown, and the kingdom of Christ set up on the ruins of it everywhere throughout the whole habitable globe. He was saying, hey, the kingdom of darkness is being torn down, dismantled. We've been given the authority and the power to do that. And we aren't, you know, just like Jeremiah, we are not just uprooters, tear-downers, and, and pluck-outers. We are also builders and establishers. So we, we have a two-fold job. We get to disrupt, blow up, dismantle, destroy, whatever verb you want to throw in there that sounds cool and awesome that you'd like to do. Anything that we do that destroys, that's part of our job description. We destroy the kingdom of darkness, then we plant, we build, and establish the kingdom of God is, is a two-fold job description. And where are we doing it? Right here. When, you know, I, I don't know if, if you have aspirations to be an astronaut, you know, if you're going to fly to Mars and establish the kingdom of God. But most of us, we live right here on earth. And that's where God was talking about. Establish my kingdom. Pray for this to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the job we've been given. So we are literally building the kingdom of God on the ruins and the destruction of the kingdom of darkness. That's pretty awesome stuff that we get to do. Another scripture for you. We read this a few weeks ago, but 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way. And we, everybody say we. we. Everybody say we includes me. We, we me. I like that. We me. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. If you're a King Jameser, that says we go from glory to glory. That's, that's God's plan. A few weeks ago, I said His plan is always better. He always has something better in store for us. Whether you're in a bad place or a really good place, His idea for you is better. He's taking us from glory to glory. He's making us look more and more like Jesus. How many of you know, anytime more of Jesus comes on the scene, things are getting better? Anytime more of His nature, His character is manifested in my life, things are better than they were the day before. I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 4. This is out of the Passion Translation. It says in verse four or verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, But the lovers of God walk on the highway of light as their way shines brighter and brighter until they bring forth the perfect day. 
That's pretty cool. The promise is for more and more light to invade the earth until it brings forth the perfect day. Sometimes, God forgive us when people come to church and they don't get an understanding that the perfect day is what's on the way. It's not, oh, it's going to get worse and worse. And, the, you know, we're, we got this toilet bowl cycle happening in the earth. We might as well just flush it all. It's going to be really bad and blah, blah, blah. How many of you know we come to church? The idea we ought to get is the perfect day is on the way. The saints of God are called to shine brighter and brighter to release more of his light into the world until the perfect day comes. I, I've, I think I've said this before, but it bugs me sometimes. I, I know people mean well, but I hear this phrase a lot like, oh, you know, Jesus, we're the light of the world, right? Jesus called us the light of the world, Matthew. Uh, and, and people say things like, oh, yes, you know, Jesus is working in his church. The light is going to get brighter and brighter, but the darkness is going to get darker and darker. Anybody ever hear that? How many of you know that's not true? <laughs> when, when the light gets brighter, what happens to the darkness? It disappears. It's, it's not like, oh, let's turn up more lights, Bill. And all of a sudden, like Bill made the lights so bright in the sanctuary that back in that back corner, the darkness really gets dark and shadowy and you can't see what's going on in the back corner there. When the light gets brighter, the darkness leaves altogether. You know, a, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? When the kingdom of God starts getting established, when the church grows brighter and brighter, the darkness doesn't get darker. The darkness loses. It disappears completely. That's what we're talking about when the saints of God are shining brighter and brighter until the perfect day dawns. There, there is that we talked about in Sunday school this morning. There is that tension of now and not yet. You know, Jesus completely won every victory there was to win at the cross, but he is reigning in heaven until his enemies are made his footstool. How's that happen? That happens through the people of God shining brighter and brighter until the perfect day is released. Every time, every time more light breaks forth into the world, things are getting better. And that's a promise from Scripture. The the saints will shine brighter and brighter until the perfect day arrives. How about this quote from Charles Spurgeon? I love this. He seemed like a pretty cool guy, famous preacher, lived in the 1800s. Charles Spurgeon said this, I myself believe that King Jesus will reign and the idols be utterly abolished. And then watch this. But I expect the same power which turned the world upside down once will still continue to do it. The Holy Ghost would never suffer the imputation to rest upon his holy name that he was not able to convert the world. How many of that God's reputation? What, what Spurgeon is saying there is the Holy Spirit's not a loser. <laughs> Okay, he he didn't set the, he didn't say I'm all powerful. You know, he's part he's God. He's part of the Trinity. He's, he's one equal, but three distinct persons. The Holy Spirit draws people to Christ. It's His will that all should be saved. He's not going to be a loser. He's going to be effective in his job. And that's what Spurgeon is saying. I believe that Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. I believe the Holy Spirit is actually going to accomplish what the Holy Spirit was sent to do, which is to convert the hearts and minds of men to win the day and see people get saved. I love that quote. The Holy Spirit will never rest thinking, oh, you know, I, I just picture that. The, the Trinity having a little confab. Father and the Son saying, well, Holy Spirit, how's it going down there in the earth? Well, I'd say we're going to call it a day now. You know, we, we won like 50% of the people. So, you know, is that, is that good enough, guys? You think we're done? <sighs> no. Right. He's still at work. Drawing people, wooing them, exposing and revealing God's kindness to people so that their hearts will be melted and they'll come to repentance. 
Here's another scripture for you. Matthew chapter 13 says, He told them still another parable. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Anybody still bake with yeast? The, the young generation may, might be, well, oh, Rob's a bread maker. Yeah, there you go. Some kids are like, yeast, what's that? Silas is probably like, what, what would you do with yeast? It sits in a jar in the pantry. Yeast is used for baking. And what happens with the yeast when you stick it in the bread dough? It's like magic, right? It goes and starts to rise. Well, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is actually like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. How many of you know the yeast of the kingdom of God? Because he says the kingdom's like yeast. It was released into the earth 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross, was buried in the tomb and raised again. And it has been progressively working and expanding through the whole lump of the earth. Until the whole lump is leavened, until it see, till we see the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. How many of you know that the yeast works pretty quick, but it's not like, hey, I, I put that in there two minutes ago. Why is that dough still flat on the ground? Anybody ever get frustrated? You know, you're sitting there like, like the watch pot never boils or something like that. You know, we, we put the yeast in the dough and it's like, come on, it's been five minutes. Can I like ball it up and put it in the oven now? How I many of you know it takes a little time for the yeast to work through the entire lump of dough? That's what's been happening for 2,000 years in the earth. The kingdom of God was released through the cross, through the authority Jesus gave to his church. And it's been progressively working. We sang that this morning. It's rising. It's rising. We didn't know you were singing a yeast song. Now everybody's going to be like, what was that song we sang about the yeast in church? It's rising. It's right through the whole earth. It's permeating every aspect until it eventually is going to leaven the whole lump. That's something to look forward to. You know, it is the kingdom is a growing mountain. It's a tree that's taking root and spreading through the whole earth. It's leaven that's going through the whole lump. There is good news. Anytime the, the kingdom begins to manifest more in the earth and leaven the whole lump, it's getting better. How many of you know that the dough in the bread doesn't have a choice? <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you know, our part is separate. You know, we, we took our little two ounces of dough and, and moved off to the side here. We're not going to let... How many of you know the earth is in for renovation because the yeast was released through the cross? And there, there are people that try to delay it. There are people that try to stop it. But it is going to work its way through the whole batch of batter. Here's one more quote for you. Adam Clark, he wrote a famous commentary in Scripture. Uh, he lived 1700, somewhere in that range too. He says, yet there is no doubt that the earth is in a state of progressive moral improvement and that the light of true religion is shining more copiously everywhere. Copiously is a good word to go home and look up later. And will shine more and more to the perfect day. The perfect day that we just read about in Proverbs. The light has been released into the earth. It doesn't matter what we're seeing in our limited experience, our time frame and our geography. We, we could say, oh, you know, the light's not shining too much in my neighborhood. You know, two people just got shot or my neighbor, they had a crack house next to us that just got raided. You know, overall, if we step back and look at what God is doing in the big picture, we will be more encouraged than the discouragement we would get just by looking at that limited experience. That's why it's important to step back and get a view of God. What are you doing in the earth so that I won't be stumbling over? Oh, you know, I heard my neighbors fighting and, and yelling at each other. We, we could get discouraged by those things, which is why we need to keep encouraging ourselves. 
God, what are you doing? Where can I look to see you at work in this situation? You know, you could go to your neighbors that you hear them fighting, you know, husband and wife yelling at each other, and you could just go and say something like, man, it is such a blessing that you guys got married. You know, maybe they're married, they're husband and wife. I mean, you know, if you can't start anywhere else, start somewhere small. You know, that's pretty awesome that you guys chose to get married. That was, you know, God loves marriage. And that's a rule. That was a commitment to each other. You, you might have to look long and hard, kind of like telling people, honor your parents, that it may go well with you on the earth. Some of, some of us are thinking, how in the world do I honor my parents? Because they were the worst parents that anybody ever had in the history of humanity. Start somewhere. God, thank you that, that they contributed the genetic material. To, um, thank you for, for finding my mom and making that happen. You know, start somewhere. Look for somewhere where God was active in the process and begin to speak to that regardless of what the rest of it looks like. Does that make sense to people? We get too focused on the bad stuff and rehearse it when we ought to be looking, God, where are you at work? More and more copiously. <laughs> Until the perfect day. So I want to close with this and we're going to pick this back up next week. God is the giver of every good gift. Anybody amen that one? God is the giver of any every good gift. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And in James it says this, chapter 1 and verse 16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. So there's, there's deception that could come because you, you might not realize this is happening. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everybody say every. every. How many of you know when he says every good gift? He means every good gift. There, there is an easy litmus test when you look at stuff that's been released into the world. If it's sinful... Or it produces lack, death, and destruction. Where did it come from? The devil? <laughs> yes, yeah, some of you are like, oh, I don't know. You, you, is that a trick question? <laughs> if it's producing bad stuff, it came from the devil. This, I said this was an easy litmus test. If it releases good into the world, it comes from God. Because it says He gives every good and perfect gift. So, did they... Did everyone honor him for every invention that's ever been made? Every, every cure for a disease that's been discovered? If, did a cure for disease produce death or life? So would we call that a bad gift or a good gift? You guys are good. You're catching on. So if it's a good gift, where did it come from? Did the, did the guy that invented that cure, did he stop and honor God and say thank you? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But I know we have an opportunity to. We have a chance to recognize it and say, God, you release that into the earth. That, that is the fruit of the kingdom being manifested and the works of the darkness, the works of the enemy being uprooted, plucked down and destroyed. Are you, are you following that train of thought? Anything. Well, you know, first, the obvious one is salvation. Anytime somebody gets saved, that is a good gift being released into the earth. How many of you know new life is the best gift we've ever received from anybody? When, when God completely regenerated us and made us a new creation, that is a good gift that came from the Father in heaven. The, how about the rest of them, though? The ability to earn wealth. Scripture actually says the ability to earn wealth came from God, that He's the one that gives you the capacity to produce it. Um, we should be using our wealth to eradicate poverty. 
any time poverty deep, we're going to look at a graph in a couple of weeks that shows the real state of poverty in the world today. And it is on the decline because the kingdom is leavening the whole lump and spreading throughout the earth. The curing of diseases, whether it was through healing, through prayer, through medicine, it came from God. And anything that extends uh, human life, anything that preserves and extends life, the, the decline of abortion that we're seeing, which I will show you a graph about that too. Anything that preserves and protects and promotes life is a good gift that came from the Father. Whether we acknowledge Him for it or not, it still came from His hand. It's the kingdom being released and permeating the whole earth. You know, clean water. We're, we'll ask Peter next week, isn't it a good gift? To have clean water in a village where for, for hundreds of years you weren't even sure if you could drink out of that well because you might keel over dead. That's, that's a good gift being released. You know, they put in a water filter. <gasps> you know, you, you, we sit there in the natural and we think, oh, well, that's just some smart guy, you know, figured out how to make clean drinking water. That's a good gift that's that right, came yeah. from God. Right. That made things better in that's the right. earth. Right. Man, I've got a lot of that. The, I love that anything that extends human life, I go back to that one. Because what are the wage, what's the wages of sin? So the converse of that, what does God produce? <laughs> I'll read it in a couple of weeks. But the, when Jesus was born, if, if you include everybody, the average life expectancy was like 28 years old. And today, it's, it's getting into the upper 70s. How many of you know that's life? That's, that's a good gift from the Father that's been released. I'd say things are getting better. <laughs> so we will talk in a couple of weeks about what's our part. How do we interact with that? And we're going to look at some more data. But today, that was there's so many more scriptures I could give you. But that's just like a quickie overview to set us up of things really are getting better. Jesus won the victory at the cross. It's being enforced by his people on earth today. Lights being released. The kingdom's being established. Good gifts are being released from the Father, and they're producing fruit in the earth. Can we say amen? amen? All right, let's go ahead and stand this morning. <laughs> I think... Uh, There, there still is a tendency sometimes to even hear somebody say a message like this and, and we still think, oh, that's really nice. But what about my world? You know, you don't know how bad things are where I'm standing or how much they... What I'm going to pray for us this morning is, Lord, open our eyes to see what you're doing. Help me get my eyes off of my stuff and come into agreement with the truth of your word. Because at the end of the day, well, at the beginning of the day, and at lunchtime too, <laughs> all throughout the day, the Word of God is more true and more real than what we're experiencing in our limited situation. So even if you're sitting there this morning and you hear things like this, you hear these comments from people, you see it in the Word of God, and your first inclination is still to say, yes, but. We're going to pray and say, God, open our eyes. To see what you see. To see victory. To see what you're doing in the earth and come into agreement with that. Let's pray. And if, and if that was you, if you're being con- stirred by that or convicted or you feel like, Pastor, why do you keep stepping on my toes? I love you. And this prayer is for you this morning. 
God, I thank you that your victory at the cross was utter and complete. That there, there was nothing, nothing, nothing lacking in what Jesus did. Lord, I thank you that we've been seeing the fruit of that begin to take shape in our lives. We've been seeing the, the fruit of the victory of the cross be established in the earth. Lord, open our eyes. We, we ask that. Even if we're in a place where we don't know how to do it, Lord, we ask that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and just open our eyes to see you at work in our lives, in the earth, in the people around us. Let us see what you're doing and begin to come into agreement with that. Lord, we we confess that we would much rather agree with what you are doing in the earth than what the enemy is producing. Lord, we, we would much rather come into a place where we confess and reinforce and share testimonies about your goodness rather than be complainers that talk about what's going wrong in the earth. God, if, if there's places where we've complained, forgive us, God. Uh, we ask that you would just wash, wash our thinking in those areas. Renew us, even with the, the word of God. Renew our thinking, Lord, that we would be able to let go of our tendencies to complain and to focus on the bad and to come in, let us come into agreement with what you're doing. Lord, I, I bless your people right now. I, I ask for uh, even breakthroughs in this area this week. That, that we would have testimonies of situations where before we were so focused on the negative, but when we walk back into that same situation, we suddenly see you at work. Yes. Lord, let that happen this week in our lives and in the circumstances around us, that we would know that your word is true beyond anything we could say or do. Lord, we honor you this morning. We, we love you with all our heart. We thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have yes. made us your own, uh, that you didn't just... Uh, gather us in together, but you actually came and live inside of us. That's a, so amazing to us, Lord Jesus. We ask that you continue to speak to our heart and stir us with who you are and what you're doing through our lives. And we give you glory and honor, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, the, 